At the beginning of this service, I greeted all of you with a heartfelt welcome back. That actually applies to my wife and me as well. Welcome back to New Haven for both of us. But also for me personally, it is a welcome back to Center Church. Now that I have your attention, here's the backstory. In the early 1990s, Barbara and I moved from Chicago to New Haven, where she began her pediatric residency at Yale New Haven Hospital. So returning all these years later for both of us truly is a wonderful welcome back to New Haven. Now, Barb's residency was a three-year program, and that presented a bit of a problem for me. I just graduated from Divinity School, and there were no entry-level church positions anywhere around here. So I needed to find a job quickly. When I was in Div School, I worked the night shift in a hospital psychiatric ward. So luckily, I was offered a job as a therapist at a newly opened psychiatric crisis program in Meriden. I began by doing mental status evaluations in the emergency room. And then a few months later, realizing that I could not sit still, that I had a healthy dose of ADHD, my boss made me the lead therapist in this mobile crisis program. And it was brilliant. And I maintain today that I was in very good company because Jesus, I am convinced, had ADHD too. Stop and think about it for a moment. He was never in the office. Instead, he was constantly on the road traveling to different towns, helping people mentally and spiritually. So that's what I did for three years. Along with another therapist named Fred, I drove a minivan all over Meriden, Wallingford, and Cheshire, evaluating people of all ages people who were suicidal and homicidal, others with major depression, some with paralyzing OCD, beautiful, bright people who were severely bipolar or floridly psychotic or both. We would travel to where they were, we would evaluate them, and we'd try to get them back to the emergency room, which sadly oftentimes required the police for backup. Now, i got to tell you, the places we went and the people we saw were oftentimes heartbreaking. And driving around in that van, Fred and I talked about it constantly, how random and unfair and unforgiving mental illness can be. We had these long conversations that always led to the big life questions, the whys and the hows and the wheres, and they always culminated with, where is God in all of this? Where is God in all of this? So one day, we decided to go to church and get some answers. Fred lived in New Haven. He had not been in a church since he was a child. So we randomly chose this church, Center Church, simply because it was the one at the middle of the green. And that's when it happened. As we were walking into this church up that aisle toward this altar, Fred suddenly turned ashen, and by the time we got to the pew, he was shaking and sweating. We were sitting right over there. So I leaned over and I asked Fred if he was okay, and he nodded yes. And then much to my relief, when that majestic pipe organ began to play, the color slowly returned to his face, and he relaxed. And when the service was over, he actually walked out of here in a place of peace. We went out for coffee and a suite after church. It was a famous Italian bakery, if I recall, and I don't remember the name for the, 
for my life. But I do recall having the best cannoli of my life. And as we were getting ready to leave, I went for it. I looked over at the table. I looked at Fred, and I said, what happened back there at Center Church? It looked like you were having an episode of PTSD. To which Fred replied, I guess I was. And then he told me this story. When I was a little boy, my parents were faithful members of a Pentecostal church down south. We would go every Sunday without fail, and every Sunday without fail, there would be this altar call, and the whole extended family would come forward. And along with dozens of other people, they would hold their hands high, and they would wave them, and they would talk in tongues, and they would cry and smile at the same time. In other words, they were really feeling their religion. And then he said this, I wanted so badly to feel it too, but as hard as I tried, it never happened. So as a little boy, I became convinced that God didn't love me, that I was one of the lost and going straight to hell. And then Fred said this, so you know what I did? In order to fit in, I would slowly make my way through that frenzied crowd up to the altar, and when no one was looking, I would crack my head against it enough to make me cry. I would crack my head against that altar enough to make me cry. All these years later, I still can't get that image out of my mind how a little boy who desperately wanted to feel accepted in his family of faith literally had to beat his brains out. To which Jesus replies, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and your soul and all of your mind. It is a 2,000-year-old biblical story with a powerful and pertinent message for today. A Pharisee asked Jesus which commandment is the greatest of all. Being a devout Jew, Jesus recited the ancient Shema. You shall love the Lord your God with your heart and your soul. Now in the Hebrew, the heart was believed to be the seatbed of intelligence. However, because his audience was largely Greek, Jesus added the word mind. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and soul and mind. And i got to tell you, I thank God now more than ever that he made that addition. Because it is precisely the word mind that is missing in many so-called religious people today. People who deny all things science like birth control or climate change or vaccines. And it is tearing our country apart. I am reminded of an incident that happened years ago. Christer Stendahl, the former dean of Harvard Divinity School, came to Rhode Island to speak to a group of ministers about birth control. And Stendahl spoke passionately in favor of it. And then one clergyman way in the back row raised his hand and he asked, if you believe so much in birth control, Reverend Stendahl, then what do you do with Genesis chapter 1 where it is written, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth? To which Mr. Stendahl unflinchingly replied, we did it. Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and your soul and your mind. And then he did it again. He added something. And your neighbor as yourself, he linked the two into one great commandment. 
A few weeks ago, I went to my doctor for my annual physical, and after he took my vitals with nervous trepidation, he asked, did you get your COVID vaccine? Of course I did, I gleefully answered, at which point he breathed an audible sigh of relief. And then he went on to tell me that COVID-19 has been the most difficult time of his entire career. And when he asked that same question to some of his other patients, they become enraged and accuse him of getting cash bonuses for every shot. And other patients would lecture him on all the conspiracy theories. The vaccine makes people magnetic or infertile. It changes their DNA. Or my favorite, every injection contains a little tiny microchip. And then he said this, which you know, pastor, when he said pastor, I knew I was in trouble. But you know, pastor, another reason for not getting the vaccine is people invoking their Christian faith. With pressured voices, they say, it's my personal religious belief and no one can tell me to wear a mask or get that shot. What do you make of that? Well, I did a little research and discovered that no major denomination has advised against vaccines unless there is a medical reason. Even Robert Jeffries, a conservative Baptist megachurch pastor, said there is no religious argument against the COVID vaccines. It's my personal religion. It's my personal belief. No one can tell me to wear a mask or get a vaccine. That's what I call me religion. And it doesn't work. Because Jesus never preached me religion, rather he always preached we religion. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, and mind, and your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the laws and all the prophets. It is the bedrock of Christianity. And so the highest law, the greatest commandment, is not about me, rather it's about we. It's about sacrificial love for other people. The passage Donna read earlier puts it beautifully. This is my translation of it. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as living sacrifice for others, i.e., get the shot and wear a mask. Do not be conformed to the social media and the politics of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the will of God, not your will, what is the will of God, and what is good and acceptable and perfect. I love that. When's the last time you heard in church, be transformed by the renewing of your mind? Recently, there has been footage all over the television of frenzied parents protesting in front of their children's schools. And some were holding signs about religious freedom. And many others were burning masks in a 50-gallon drum with their children standing right next to them. Burning masks in a 50-gallon drum with their little kids standing right next to them. You know what? When I saw that, I thought of little Fred standing by that altar. Now, I had long forgotten Fred's story. That is until I applied to this church. And that's when it came crashing back to me. Before my first interview, I went on the website to see if Center Church was a good fit for me. And it was under our mission that I joyfully read the following. 
We are a people whose faith is in process. We honor and respect the questions as much as the answers. And then it says this. We believe in a loving, gracious God who calls us to use our minds along with our hearts and spirits. That did it for me. I applied for the job. We believe in a loving, gracious God who calls us to use our minds along with our hearts and our spirits. Amen. Center Church. Thank you.